fourth red card of Emmy Buendia's Norwich City career and a nil-nil draw for us to review in this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. I'm Dave Freezer, joined by Connor Southwell and Paddy Davitt to look back on a frustrating day for the championship leaders. We've also seen Swansea and Brentford win since the final whistle at Carrow Road. So we'll have a look at how the championship picture is looking. You can also hear us on Future Radio 107.8 FM. But boys, firstly, have you defrosted? Because I think we all slightly underestimated quite how cold it was today, haven't we, Dad? It feels it's about two hours after the final whistle recording this and my feet still feel a bit cold. And I've been in, I've been in the house. It's not that like I don't have any heating in my home. It's just... Uh, it's taking that long to thaw out. It was a bitterly cut. Raw is the word I used a few times in the copy. Um, and it was pretty raw bone stuff on the pitch as well, to be fair. I mean, Middlesbrough were everything sort of Daniel flagged they would be, a Warnock side. is going to give you everything in terms of commitment and energy and physicality and um, just muscularity. And basically that sort of wore down Norwich, I thought, on the day. I'd, no shots on target. How often have we said that about a Norwich team in the Championship this season? Underlines as an attacking unit, they they wasn't at the races really. They, they started, I thought, fairly brightly, but then seemed to be worn down by Johnny House and inspired midfield performance for Borough. And thereafter, uh, it was just a bit of a grind. And and in that context, then obviously we'll get into it. You know, the major incident in the second half when they went down to ten men. Probably not a bad point. I know we're, we're doing this after Brentford have gone goal crazy against Wickham and, and Swansea have won well at Rotherham, but it might still feel like a decent point in the week, overall in the weekend when we look back because um, I think Middlesbrough had the better of it and certainly when they had a, a man advantage for 25-plus minutes, they definitely should have made that count. So in that context, feels a bit of a frustrating afternoon for all concerned, but... Um, you know, is another point step and another step closer where they're all trying to get to. So, yeah, maybe we just need to bear that in mind because obviously, you know, if you just isolate the performance, it wasn't really anywhere near what Norwich have shown as an attacking force. And that's, for me, largely down to the job Middlesbrough did tactically from Warnock and then the key battles all around the pitch. I thought Fry got the better of Pookie. That was a key battle. House, and as I said, I thought he schooled Cantwell and Rupp uh, and Skip at times. And, uh, and then, really, it was, you know, only down to probably the what we're now discovering is Norwich's new found defensive resolve this season with Tim Krul and Gibson and Hanley, that axis that has, has probably got on the result today because further forward, they wasn't really good enough. But credit to Borough, I think. Yeah, well, as you say that, I've just been having a quick flick through my records and I'm pretty sure that might be the first league game at Carrow Road under Daniel Farker where Norwich haven't had a shot on target at home. Um, I've got here that they had no shots on target at Brighton and Chelsea last year and there's not been a game so far this year at all where they've had uh, no shots on target. So it is incredibly rare. Um, But, you know, it's still only the uh, they've still only had one defeat in 11 league games. Um, OK, Swansea have cut the gap, which we'll come on to, to, to four points. But as you say, as long as, you know, Millwall and Stoke, uh, Millwall and Swansea, sorry, in the week ahead uh, doesn't doesn't go badly, then it might end up being uh, not too bad a point. Um, but yeah, Connor, as we've seen since the uh, since the early kickoff, uh, Wins for Swansea and Brentford. And Brentford, ridiculous. 2-2 at home to Wickham at half-time. They end up winning 7-2. 
and uh, Swansea won three one at Rotherham. So it has tightened up quite a bit up there, isn't it? Yeah, it just puts more pressure on that Millwall game for me. I think you can only sort of see how big that Swansea game is um, after Tuesday night and, and after we're the other side of it and we see what the picture looks like because if Norwich win that game, then I think maybe the um, <clears throat> excuse me, I think maybe the pressure is slightly more often than if they go to the den and maybe fail to win or, or, or even lose. So um, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a difficult test. Um, just, yeah, I'd, I'd echo what Paddy said today, really. It was, it was incredibly frustrating. Um, I'd go as far to say it was a, a war knocking, really, in terms of how he, how he approached it. I mean, it was a very brave call to man-mark Emmy Buendia and Todd Campwell in the, in the way he did and kind of concede the space in other areas. But it, it worked for him. It's the first time I think we've really sat here this season and spoken about Emmy Buendia and Todd Campwell not really producing anything. And, um, you know, he's, he's the king of uh, a certain word that ends in housery, so I'll let you fill in, in, in the front. But I, I think Norwich... Um, Norwich got incredibly frustrated and increasingly frustrated with it. I think they it, it became a bit more of an arm wrestle than, than maybe they anticipated than they wanted. And, um, you know, last week we sat here praising Barnsley for the way they approached it. I think this week you have to do the same with Middlesbrough because um, I thought Warnock tactically got it spot on and, and Norwich didn't really, uh, as, as we've spoken about, have anything from an attacking perspective. So, Clearly, after the, the last two games, albeit one was in the FA Cup, I don't. Unless you boys can correct me, I, I think they don't. I don't think they had a shot on target at Barnsley either. So that's technically two games that. Um, they that won, I, didn't they? I won. Okay, so it's it's one shot on target in two games, although one was a, a, a cup game. So you'd like to see that rectified at Millwall, and um, yeah, if they can get a result, then we'll, we'll probably look at that Swansea game with a little less pressure than um, if they if they sort of slip up again against Millwall because then that Swansea game is, is going to be an absolutely massive one. Yeah, it feels odd to have covered two Norwich games without them scoring, doesn't it? Which probably says as much about how well they've done this season. And after the back of the Bristol City win ahead of the Barnsley game, they played so well that night and could have beaten who, who are a good team by three or four, couldn't they? But yeah, Borough, I thought I thought Neil Warnock did a really good job. I thought, really, as you say, that was brave for, to sort of man-mark all over the pitch. But I thought where it really worked was um, preventing Yanulis and Aaron's having re any real impact to, in going forward. That sort of thwarted the, the Farker ball sort of stuff, really. And um, if, if Mario Vranjic had scored in the seventh minute, it would have been such a different game, wouldn't it? And he really probably should have. And that... that you saw almost that Warnock's plan could have fallen apart right there if Mario had hit the target because he had space in the middle of the pitch because Middlesbrough were so worried about everyone else, weren't they? About Buendia, Campwell, Yanulis and Aaron's. Branches just swan through the middle and <laughs> nearly slotted straight away. And then, then no doubt we'd have seen a very different game. But let's do it at the top of the pod. Let's discuss Emi Buendia's red card. Um, as I said, his fourth already for Norwich, which is... Uh, uh, strange stat, really. Um, I spoke to Ben Gibson about it after the game and he was quite good on it and sort of said, you know, um, about Lionel Messi, who we all know is obviously Emmy's uh, hero, isn't he, as an uh, Argentine, and that he gets kicked from pillar to post and doesn't lose his rag, does he? He doesn't get the red mist. And I don't think Emmy necessarily got the red mist today, but, you know, the first one just before halftime, it's a, it's a clear yellow card, isn't it? He loses the ball and then chops down house and no no debate over that one at all. But what did you make of the actual decision in the end, Pat? Because in, in real time and, and since I've seen the replays and stuff, I, I still think it is a harsh yellow card when you just look at all of that. But at the end of the day, for me, 
Emmy just should not have been giving the referee a decision to make. Shouldn't be sliding across the ground knowing he's on a yellow card. Yeah, exactly. And that's more importantly, his head coach's assessment post-match that on the one hand, yep, you know, he, he still needs to learn in those situations not to, to put himself in peril, as it were. You know, there was no need middle of the park to make a challenge of that nature. It's just his desire really to get the ball and, and you know, try and get his team playing, particularly after, you know, he's had a very frustrating 65 minutes. He, he's been bottled up and not been able to get on the ball and create. Um, and you can see in previous games when teams managed to, to put him in his box, it, it can turn in that direction. So on one level, yeah, no, no arguments. It's still a question. Unfortunately, we're talking about the lad needed to mature and understand that, you know, particularly when he's, I mean, I tweeted it after the first yellow card. I said, let's see about this maturity. Daniel says that he has shown him to be fair. We've seen this season really that, you know, post Stoke when he got his red card, you know, it looked like he, maybe the penny had dropped and, we were talking about this before the pod of of these recent red cards. I don't think this one was uh, the red mist descended, and uh, you know he just couldn't he couldn't see the wood for the trees and, and launched himself. He was trying to pull out the tackle, but the reality is he did catch him enough for Middlesbrough's coaching staff and uh, Savile and his teammates to basically make out he'd been absolutely decapitated almost, and uh, <laughs> and that clearly did that. In my opinion, that pressure was brought to bear on the assistant referee who. It seemed, given the play continued, then it eventually ran out of play and the referees more or less had to run all the way back from Norwich's byline back to where the incident was in sort of just inside the borough half. It seemed to me to be getting a lot of guidance from the assistant referee, which leads you to think, you know, what sort of view has he got of it in real time? No VAR, obviously, in this division. Um, so, yes, while we can discuss Buendia's culpability, Daniel thought it was a very, very harsh decision in terms of, you know, it was wasn't really a tactical foul. It wasn't it wasn't a foul that endangered an opponent. Savile was able to continue, lo and behold, um, after he'd screamed on the and rolled around on the floor. And you know, ultimately, as Daniel said, that man India gets kicked from pillar to post every game. And you know, his Achilles take a batter in every game. And and some of the treatments meted out to him, um, you you contrast that with the challenge that he's earned the second yellow for him, and and you just feel it is a little bit unfair. But you know, ultimately. For me, is he now getting a reputation? You say four yellow, four red cards in in a very short period of time is a, is a, is not a good stat for that young man. And um, our referees and assistants, and more importantly, opposition managers and, and players. It was a very telling Neil Warnock part of his post match presser where he more or less intimated that Buendia is a walking red card, and and that they knew after he got his first yellow that he was probably going to do something to quote Warnock stupid. Now, I would say what he hasn't said in that post match is probably. He's been telling his players, if we get into this lad, he probably will react and will do something after getting the first yellow card. And that is really because Wendy has formed for these sort of uh, loss loss of composure and, 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 and allowing his emotions to cloud you know, his judgment on the pitch. And it's a shame. It's part of his makeup. We, we've spoken at length about it after previous red cards incidents. It's not enough to keep talking about, as Daniel has done in the past. He's, he's a Latin American and they're, they're passionate and fiery and they're, you know, they get caught up in the emotion of it or even about his relative youth. You know, he needs at some point to realise that what the situation is, where there's a danger situation, as there was the minute he gets a red card, uh, sorry, a yellow card after the housing challenge, he should then be thinking thereafter for the rest of this game, I can't throw myself into any challenge that would leave the referee making a decision. He hasn't done that and he's paid another price and a heavy price at that because 
unfortunately, it's not just today's game. He's going to miss Millwall. And more importantly, we're talking about how pivotal Swansea could be. He's not going to be available. And that is a huge miss going to Swansea, given the way they like to play and dominate possession. Um, not to have Emmy Buendia weakens Norwich quite graphically for me. So um, it's sad that we have to keep talking about these episodes because what we should be talking about with that man is what an unbelievable talent he is and, and, and the magic he can weave on the championship. But unfortunately, there is this part of his makeup which is holding him back. It's no doubt in my mind that there'll be Premier League clubs who will have looked at him in the recent windows and maybe feel that is an element that, you know, means he isn't quite the finished article yet. And until he can somehow, whether it's maturity or he just realises that he can't be doing things like that, then there's always going to be that question mark against the guy. You know, talent, not in doubt, but unfortunately the temperament is. Yeah, but and it's particularly disappointing after the Stoke one, like you say, because that was a similar situation, wasn't it? You know, again, a bit of a harsh yellow card, the second one maybe, but, he, you know, his boot was up and he got uh, he gave a foul away for a high boot when he was already on a yellow card and he hasn't learned from it, has he? So, you know, he, he's 24 now, isn't he? And he, he's got to be... He's got to be learning these things. He's not a young kid anymore. And like you say, this one, you can't really put it down to red mist and stuff. It's just um, a mistake. He shouldn't be sliding across the ground. But it, it was very disappointing to see, you know, there was a coach sat in front of us, wasn't there, who literally just said, stay down, Sav, and told George Savile to stay down. They all just slowly, the light bulbs went around the Middlesbrough team, didn't it? Oh, hang on, he's already been booked. We can get him sent off here. The keeper charges out. They all start doing it. And the Norwich fan... Uh, players took exception to it didn't they Pookie was arguing with Savile Krull comes out of his goal and you know it was poor but Connor we seem to be at the point where we've seen this in quite a few Norwich games now where when you see a lot of the analysis in the Premier League say you watch a match of the day or whatever and they discuss whether players go down for penalties whether it is actually diving or whether they have to go down in the box to get a penalty because if a tackle comes in and they don't go down and make a fuss about it, there's no chance you get it. We seem to be seeing that in a lot of Norwich games at the moment, that unless you go down dramatically and scream and, 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 you know, flail your arms around and roll about, then you don't even get a free kick from referees. No, I think, it, I think it's amplified to be honest behind closed doors. And the fact the referee can act, that that's a lot more audible to the referee and the officials. And, it's, it's a difficult one because, yeah, you, you have to take, you, you shouldn't be sliding in. It's silly. It's naive, whatever word you want to put on it. But equally, I'm, I'm thinking about the way da either Darnell Fisher or, or Mark Bowler had Timu Puki in a, in a headlock in the first half and has dragged him over. Um, Duncan Watmore as well catches Max Aarons in the face, suspected broken nose. And you just think, well, if Norwich make a bit more of a meal out of that, do they, do they get a bit more in terms of actually a card? Because, well, the Watmore one wasn't even a foul, but um, the, the first instant uh, didn't, didn't receive a book in and it, it does feel again and, and we've spoken about it a lot about Norwich like in terms of the dark arts and stuff they're just not quite clever enough at that and maybe they are guilty of being a little bit too honest and a little bit too nice at times um, you look at someone like Dale Fry today and Farker made the point in the second half whenever Timu Buki was backing into him he'd go down he'd throw his arms up in the air he's a six foot four um, northern centre-back you know and, and and when it was the other way around Timu Buki would go down, get back up and, and go and press the ball again. And that's that's the difference, isn't it? And look, it's what Neil Warnock's teams do so well. It's why he has so much success at this level. It's the margins and the way he frustrates. And, and, uh, because let's be honest, it was Middlesbrough that brought Norwich down to their level today. It wasn't it wasn't Norwich City's quality football. Um, so it's frustrating in that respect. I think Buendia can probably feel a little bit hard done by because... For me, it's 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 a foul, but it's it's not a card. I think it's a, a very very soft yellow card, and ultimately, I think the 
the referee has, has brought the antics of George Savile, Ronnie Jepson as well, the coach you mentioned who was who shouted him to stay down, Bettinelli. And you could just see it. It was it was like um almost like a reaction, wasn't it? Where one of them caught on and then and then by the end there was all eleven from basically hounding um Keith Stroud to get him sent off, which you which you don't like to see. But again, it's it's what Warnock teams are about. And um he does give the referee a decision to make and you can't do that. And 24 years of age, I mean, he's, he's got a kid, hasn't he? He's got another one on the way. You'd hope that maturity will begin to show a bit more now. He's, he's not 20, 21. Um, and, and like Pad said there, in terms of opposition managers and, and players and even clubs, I, I think he's, he's spot on. I think there will be some clubs looking at it, maybe who would, who would like Emi Buendia as a footballer and it puts them off because that's not someone you can, you can rely upon. And it's difficult because I don't necessarily think it's him, uh, like you say, seeing the red mist or whatever. I think it's, it's him in his head as a kid playing football on the streets of Argentina. He just throws himself into every challenge because he, he wants the ball. He loves the game. Um, it's, it's just, yeah, it's becoming increasingly difficult to defend him, I think. Um, more so, I think, probably after the, the, the previous two, but it's, what, three red cards since July now, which is not acceptable, really. And I know he's a player who plays on the knife edge, and that's part of what he's about. But, um, but yeah, Norwich do need to be cleverer and, and smarter um, at, at going down and, and using their voice, because that seems the only way to get decisions at the moment, particularly with... Um, with the standard of refereeing, which I think is, is has been very poor across the board actually this season, there's probably a wider discussion to be had about that in the English game. But um, yeah, they, they particularly as a side top of the league where they can use that in their advantage, they they need to be a bit more savvy. Maybe it was a bit of football karma leveling up for that uh, disallowed penalty during the away right. game when yeah. Marcus Tavernier was judged to have touched the ball twice, wasn't he? And everyone was like, "Did he?" <laughs> you look at the replays, and I. I Looked at it again ahead of this game, and I still can't really see it to be honest. But there was a moment in the first half, wasn't there? I can't, can't remember exactly who it was, but Morsi was challenged. I think it was by Skip on halfway, wasn't it? And and Neil Warnock shouts, "Why don't you go down there? They would have gone down." And then Krull and him had a bit of banter, didn't he? And, uh, I think Krull said, oh, I, "I wouldn't have gone down, Neil, or something like that, didn't he?" And they sort of laughed about it. But he, he was right because Norwich then went and countered, didn't they? And if Morsi had gone down and chucked his arms up and shrieked the referee would have given the foul, almost certainly. So that seems to be where, where we're at with things a little bit. Um, right, let's, let's part the red card, though, because uh, that's that's obviously pretty frustrating to to, to keep talking about. Um, Demetrius Yanulis pad gets the start. Daniel Farker, quite brave, really, and chucked him straight into the mix, into what we knew was going to be a difficult game. Daniel had quite literally teed up word for word what was going to happen, hadn't he, that this was exactly Neil Warnock's sort of game, t- trying to take the the scalp of the leaders and, and frustrate them and things. But Yanulis, it was ooh, a nervy first half, wasn't it? But I thought, to be fair to him, I thought the second half, he, he did improve quite a bit. Yeah, agreed, yeah. I mean, we're saying, you know, we're sat here and we're trying to four out. I mean, pity that man coming from Greece. I don't know what he made <laughs> of that today. Either A, the temperature, or B, the, uh, the the opponent. I mean, thankfully for him, he doesn't play a Neil Warnock side every week because... He, he probably will be sitting in a darkened room somewhere this evening and just thinking, what was that all about? Particularly in the first half, it was just a relentless, um, in-your-face kind of, uh, you know, don't need a ball, we'll just have an arm wrestle type football. And I'm not sure how often he's experienced that in Greek football. But yeah, ultimately, everything we have heard and seen on clips about this guy is that his strength is attacking. He's an attacking fullback in the modern mould. And this just simply wasn't the opportunities for the first 
well, 56 minutes, in fact, because it was the 56th minute. I made a note of it when he, he did that burst inside the fullback and uh, was played in and he cut it back for Rupp. And you just thought, yes, this is what we see. And there was a nice little drag back thereafter as well. This is why he's been bought, I think. Um, not necessarily to go toe-to-toe with a, you know, almost a man-for-man marker, the way Borough went. And as you said, right, Dave, at the outset, you know, pinned back the two fullbacks for Norwich. Um, there was really no space for him at all to operate in that first sort of hour or so. Um, and you could see, you know, the getting to know you phase, he'd be making a run and he wasn't quite on the same way as a teammate. Or, you know, he'd, he'd put a pass in and it wasn't quite what his teammates were looking for and the ball would be t- turned over. There was there was a lot of that and that's understandable. You know, he's literally made a start today, probably after about two or three training sessions, which is, you know, quite tough on that man, particularly going into a, a game where you're playing a, you know, a team like Middlesbrough, it's not not a team where Norwich have enjoyed 70%, 80% possession. They're on the front foot and they're, and they're dominating and, and he can showcase his attacking uh, qualities. So plenty of slack needs to be cut, I think. And you're right, I think he was better in the second half. Even in, I thought even the physical stuff, he seemed to be like, realise this is what it's all about and, you know, I need to put my body in here and make a few challenges. He gave a few free kicks away as well. So that, that's a good sign, I think, in terms of, he, he, he would seem to be a sort of lad who he's not going to be phased by the physical aspects of the championship um, or English football in general. And um, he'll be better for it. You know, he will have learnt a lot more from that type of game today, I would think, about the championship and English football and Norwich and the demands on him in this side than he would have done, as I say, a, a nice walk over, dare I say, a Brentford Wickham type of result. So um, we'll see if how swiftly he does adapt. But I don't think we can make any hard or fast um, assessments on today's performance because for a lot of reasons, that was a very tough gig for him as well. And uh, and while we're talking about left-backs, you know, you do have to feel a little bit sorry for Sorensen that he, he dips completely out of the eleven because it's certainly not on his performance levels over the last few months um, while he was on the bench today. It's simply that Janoulis is the man they've identified and now brought in as potentially Jamal Lewis's longer-term successor. So, of course, he's going to play now. I think it places a huge question mark about Xavi Quintilla, where, where he fits in now moving forward. Um, but certainly Sorensen, feel a bit sorry for that lad as well. But but I, I, I think, um, you know, we'll probably have a better idea in a few weeks in terms of Yanoulis and, and what exactly he's going to bring. I don't think we can make any real assessments on today's display because ultimately, if you want to pick out Yanoulis, let's pick out Cantwell, let's pick out Buendia, Pukki, all of Norwich's best creative players. They didn't fire and that was credit to Middlesbrough. So, um, you know, we will see better from that lad, I'm sure, because, you know, you look at him, he's a Greek international, he's played in the Champions League, he's played in the Europa League, he clearly is no mug, he clearly is a decent footballer, um, and I think in time he will prove to be a very good sign. Yeah, I thought there were definitely enough encouraging signs in that second half going forward, That, uh, and, I, and I just felt like he maybe got the bit between his teeth a, li- a little bit more, because that first half, it, you know, he lost the ball quite easily a few times, it, it, you know, there were definitely people at half-time saying, should Farker be taking him off, and um, you know, that says a lot for his character as well, that he, he rallied really there. Um, well, to move forward, Connor, in terms of midfield, Lucas Rupp has the other player coming in on the back of getting back into things at, at, at Barnsley in the FA Cup. Um, what do you make of his performance, given that Kenny McLean could well be available again for a start at Millwall? Daniel has pretty much said that he, he should be fine to, to be in contention for Millwall because he's not got any COVID symptoms or anything and he, he can train again as of Sunday, can't he? So do you think, do you think Rupp did enough or are we just expecting Kenny to slot back in? 
Yeah, I'd be, I'd be expecting McLean to, to slot back in. I wouldn't say that he did anything particularly wrong. I thought it was a, an OK performance, but um, I, it, it was a game where you kind of felt they missed McLean's thrust and his energy and um, the way he, he lifts the team as well. And in terms of physicality, it, it would have been right up his street. So in many ways, it's, it's quite a shame. I think it would have been a nice battle between him and Housen, actually, um, who, again, we can probably talk about. I thought he was the best player on the pitch this afternoon, but... Um, yeah, for me, Rupp didn't do enough. There were still elements of rust in, in some of the things he did. Um, but I don't think he's done enough to, to challenge McLean, not just for Millwall, but equally for, for the weeks ahead, particularly as we look ahead to Swansea. I think that that partnership of Skipper McLean has, has really developed since he's been out injured, really. And that's no fault of his own. But um, it, it's just a, it just says a lot about the competition that Norwich have available to them at the moment. And that needs to drive performance levels up when you get an opportunity you have to perform. And the bar is so high and, and, and so are the standards as well. And um, you, you can't afford to, particularly when there's a player playing well in your position, you can't afford to have a performance that is a, a six or a seven. It, it needs to be upper end in order to keep your place. And in many ways, that's that's, that's positive compared to, say, last season when Daniel didn't have those options in midfield. But um, yeah, I, I'd be looking, I think, to, to put McLean straight straight back in, providing, uh, as you've as you said, there are no symptoms, which is good, but providing he's he's all well and, and feeling no sort of long term effects, then yeah, I'd have him straight back in my side against Millwall. I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I still in my ratings and my video verdicts, I still included Rupp in one of the players who just about edged a seven because I I thought he did certainly put himself about and and was a decent asset today. But McLean has been playing at a really good standard, and Rupp wasn't as good as he was before his injury either, which is you know no great surprise given. Uh, he's been out for a while, hasn't he? But um, just before we start moving things forward a little bit, just to review the table. So Norwich top on 54, uh, Swansea four points back on 50 points after their win, which is 3-1 at Rotherham today. As we said, Brentford winning 7-2 against Wickham. And I just checked, they're unbeaten in 18 league games, Brentford. Uh, so they are six points behind Norwich. Uh, now, just to move it forward a little bit more, Swansea, for some reason, don't have a midweek game. I'm not quite sure how that works, given that they um, carried on in, in the FA Cup, didn't they? Um, but Brentford do have a match uh, Wednesday night at home to Bristol City. So um, Swansea couldn't take top spot off Norwich next weekend because they haven't got a game. But Brentford, if they were to win Wednesday night and Norwich uh, slipped up at Swansea on Friday, then they would be in line to to take top spot at the weekend when they go to Middlesbrough <laughs> uh, to, to complete the circle nicely. So, you know, from all that we've said that getting a win at Millwall on Tuesday night would, would be massive. And there was a, a little moment in the second half where I thought today, if Norwich could just got a, have nicked a winner, it would have been a massive moment. It would have been almost one of those moments or maybe it's their year because if they'd have come out of today with three points, then... Um, it would have felt like they were really, really in a great position. But there's no denying that Swansea and Brentford are looking very good. And then you've still got some real strength there. Reading's still going strong. Watford, of course. Bournemouth seems to seem to just be absolutely plummeting at the moment. I'm not sure what's going on there. But, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. But Pad Millwall, they, <laughs> I was saying just before we started recording, they've actually only won one home game this year. They, they've drawn eight, though. So I guess that shows the... As Daniel Farker knows all too well from his first season, how important the the fans are at the Den. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not, I've got to be honest; it's quite good for Norwich going there without, uh, you know, particularly under the lights night game as well. You can imagine um, 
they would definitely be a factor, even though they don't get huge crowds. But what they do that makes some uh, racket and it quite generates quite a hostile atmosphere, as we all know. But uh, yeah, that is a strange stat. Obviously, it probably does underline, you know, that the fortress Millwall isn't the case without any fans, and that's reflected in the results. But I mean, we've just, you know, we're just dissecting a very obdurate Middlesbrough display at Car Road. Well, the last one that I can remember was Millwall earlier in the season when they came and, and were equally uh, resolute and, and got a, got a similar result, identical result, in fact. Um, and you know, you just feel. I mean, you say there's a lot of draws mixed in there, even though they're not won too many games, so that. By no means is this going to be another uh, easy assignment for Norwich. I think they're going to face very similar problems in a lot of ways. I think Gary Rowett will, I'm sure, dissect how Neil Warnock went about it and try and replicate some elements of that. So um, basically, it'll be take two and, and without Buendia as well. So, you know, I think McLean coming in for reasons you boys have already stated is a big boost. I think he does inject some dynamism into that midfield area. Um, but you know, we'll need to see a little bit more in terms of attacking areas as well to compensate for the for no Buendia. So, uh, yeah, I, I I don't think this is a particularly easy game for Norwich going to Millwall uh, midweek. Um, but if they can grind out a result, then they, that, then I think it sets them up for Swansea. And ultimately, you know, if if they get a result, then for me the pressure will be on Swansea on that Friday night game. You know, the onus is on them to close the gap. They will have to be progressive and take chances and, and that might play into Norwich's hands. So, you know, in a roundabout way, on one level, you could say maybe of the two games coming up now, the Millwall game might be a bit harder because the onus is on Norwich. You know, the expectation would be Norwich will be able to go there and deal with Millwall. Um, whereas I think the Swansea game will take care of itself. I think there'll be no issues in terms of Farker getting the mindset right for that in terms of, you know, his players focused on the job in hand. But Millwall could be a little bit of a potential banana skin in between. So, um, I see they've got a draw at Cardiff today. It's not a bad result, you know. Cardiff have got Mick McCarthy in charge now, new manager, and you know I'm sure them players would be trying to impress him. So they've obviously done very well. Just looking at the result, you know, to go there and get a performance and a result. So yeah, I, I think this could be a very tough game, and uh, you know I think they will need to dig as deep as they have at Stoke, at, um, some of the other places, Reading. Um, you know, some of these real hard away games where they've they've been under the pump and, and they've found a way. I think we will need to see that gene in particular on Wednesday night, is it? Wednesday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday, Tuesday night. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Six o'clock. All merges, all merges, yeah. So there you go. Yeah, so as I say, I think, um, yeah, we're going to learn a little bit more about this Norwich collective over the next five, six, seven days, I think. Uh, you know, it hasn't been plain sailing, but they had engineered themselves a very, very healthy position over the festive period. And now, not so much what they aren't doing, but, you know, the Swansea's and Brentford's have really got into a nice groove and they're winning games, scoring goals. Confidence is building. Swansea have made an astute signing. I think Hurahani scored again today, I believe. The lad on loan from Villa. Who knows what how to score against Norwich, lest we forget. Um, and I, I thought, anyway, when they came to Car Road early in the season, they do look a very, very good outfit. And, of course, Brentford, they probably feel they should have got the win that night um, when Norwich got that deflected goal from Kenny McLean late on. But Brentford were a better side on the night. I felt. So it's no surprise to me that at the minute it looks like Norwich plus those two fighting out for the top two. I mean, we should keep the context of, you know, Nor that's three clean sheets for Norwich and we're, we're talking about all this. They are still four points clear at the top. 
and uh, they I think they conceded three in the last seven league games. So you know we, th- things are still very positive overall. So let's let's talk about how they cope without Buendia. Then I, I guess we're talking probably a straight shootout between Hernandez and Pujeta. I, I think I, probably it might be a little bit harsh harsh on Pujeta, but I think I'd go with Hernandez in for Buendia just because he he knows Rancic and Puki and Campwell better. And when he came on, I mean, Johnny Housen really did take a yellow card for the team, didn't he, to stop Hernandez, who was tearing through. So, yeah, I think, I think I'd think i keep Rancic and Campwell and just bring in Hernandez to, as you're going to be probably bringing in McLean as well, just to minimise the disruption. Um, you know, Pojeta, hopefully a good option off the bench, and you've got Dowell as well. But, uh, yeah, so that's I think that's what I'd do. What would you do, Connor? I would be inclined to agree. I think in many ways, and I've been kind of thinking about this since I got back actually and and, and on my way back, actually injecting some pace into that Norwich side might be a blessing in disguise in terms of the next two games away from home where um, teams are possess a bit more ambition at at home anyway. So you would hope there is going to be space for Norwich to gallop into if if they can if they can work an opening and, and you look at Onel Hernandez, you've got a man there who scored what, what was it, eight goals and um ten assists or something in the in the championship last time around. I might have got those figures slightly wrong. But his his output was incredible and it's it's been he's obviously had the Barnsley game. He he had a bit of a cameo today. I think you're right. It it would be good to to see him, certainly even if it was for sixty minutes, fifty-five minutes, whatever. Um just to see what he could inject into the Norwich side and give defenders a little bit of something different because Wendier and Campbell are very different players stylistically, but both the same in terms of how they approach. They want to drift inside and pick it, pick up um, the ball in, in in neat pockets of space and particularly against uh, two sides, who I think are, are going to be pretty solid defensively. Gary Rowett's teams are, are usually fairly well organised. I think they all play a three at the back and Swansea have one of the, if not the best defensive record in the championship. So actually that little bit of off-the-cuff pace, skill, threat um not always convinced that Hernandez knows what he's going to do let alone the defender so that that could be that unpredictability could be something that that actually gives Norwich a little bit of a spark in attack we've been speaking about two games on the spin without a goal this this could be what opens it up for them equally if he does go with Placetta that wouldn't necessarily surprise me given he's probably had a few more minutes recently it would also be good for him to um try and and sort of correct that Barnsley performance in terms of the frustration because he did a lot of elements of that performance were were good and it kind of feels like he's nearly there it would be good to see a complete performance from him um there was a a nice moment today where he flicked the ball over the the defender's head and it kind of looked like the space had opened up for him and instead of maybe just attacking it he just held off and waited for for players to join so maybe there's a a bit more of a maturity growing there and, and, and adapting a bit more so I mean both are good options I'd probably be inclined to go with with Hernandez just because one of, of what I said in terms of injecting something different, but also because of his championship experience and going to places like Millwall and Swansea away, very tough places to go for, for different reasons. Um, he knows what it takes. So, um, yeah, I, I would be inclined to agree with you on that. And Pad, where, what would you be going with? Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. I think um, of those options, Hernandez for me, or Josh Martin's the only one who'd come into the conversation, but not sure even without a crowd, Millwall away, Swansea away, are probably environments you want to expose that lad to, and he's not played a lot of football recently. So I think it has come down to a street shootout between those two lads. And yeah, on balance, I thought Hernandez kicked on again. I thought he understandably looked very uh, rusty at Barnsley, uh, not played any football for months. But I thought he was better when he came on. He definitely um, caused them one or two issues. And 
particularly, yeah, maybe Swansea more than Millwall, but but if they are finding themselves um, having to slip into a little bit of a counter-attacking mode, then he is perfect in, in, to have in the side with that pace. And uh, yeah, I think, yeah, on balance, I, I would like to think Daniel will probably see it the same way and maybe feel it's a time for Arnell to come in and um, and step up. I mean, obviously, we're talking about Middlesbrough. My mind goes back to, you know, in the title winning season, one of the goals he did score was the winner up at, at the Riverside. And that, that it was that type of tight game, nothing happening. And he just got the ball cut inside and tucked it from the edge of the box, just inside Darren Randolph's near post and um, something out of nothing. And he can produce that, as Connor says. He's not always, you don't always convinced he knows himself what he's going to do when he goes on the run, but... But that can be in a, a positive attribute because if he doesn't know, then certainly the defenders aren't going to know as well. And uh, ultimately, doesn't matter what player it is, if you've got pace, immediately it puts defenders on the back foot. It gives them something to to think about and to worry about. And um, and I think having that added element, as Conor Riley says, in in amongst the, the passes of Accountwell, Vrancic, Kenny McLean, Skip, nice bit of variety. It's a good good shout for me. Yeah. I suppose yeah. the um, curveball. Sorry, Dave. Just to just to come in, there is a curveball option, which is what he's done previously in the championship this season, which is maybe to put Adam Eder out wide. He did it at Rotherham, didn't he? And he's he's played there on a couple of occasions. If you want a bit more physicality and um, maybe a bit more of a focal point, then again, he he could be someone that comes in. Not necessarily saying I think it will happen because obviously Norwich without Jordan Hugill, so they would they would lack a striking option on the bench unless obviously Sebastian Soto comes in. But um, I, I don't think that's that's one that. That we can expect so um it, it would be interesting i think if, if he did try and put either there but yeah for the reasons me and pad have both said i think hernandez probably has the strongest case at the moment yeah i mean either just sort of shaking off the cobwebs a little bit wasn't he with that sort of what is it 10 15 minutes that he got i think the big thing with millwall you know they they will pose uh, a set piece right because they've got jake cooper haven't they who's what six foot six six foot seven something like that but with the way that hanley and gibson and cruel defend their box these days i, I don't think we will be panicking too much about that. We know that they will cause problems like that. But the thing I think when you look at the Millwall squad is, you know, they're going to be stubborn and resolute, but I don't think they've got the sort of quality that Middlesbrough have. We shouldn't, um, people shouldn't be dismissive of the fact that Borough are very much in the playoff mix. We're talking about Johnny House and they've got a sombre longer. Duncan Watmore's the reigning championship player of the month was on the bench, for instance. Um, they have got some good players. Um, Dale Fry, I think is an excellent player. And if, if Norwich did get promoted and they wanted to splash and cash on a defender, I think he would definitely be one that Norwich could have a look at because I, I have been impressed with him in, in both games. Um, but we shall see. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a difficult game. Now we're we're getting the pod out to you nice and quickly on Saturday evening because it's a pretty quick turnaround um, at the Den on Tuesday evening, six o'clock kickoff. But before that, we've got deadline day. Uh, transfer window closes eleven o'clock or uh, eleven p.m. on Monday. And Pat, there might be a, a few little bits and pieces, but um, as as we've already reported, um, well, throughout this month, really, Oyan Neeland, the former Villa keeper, poised to come in as as that number two that we've all been expecting them to sign. Yeah, I mean, Connor might be better place for me because he's been over this one really from the start. But yeah, that's our understanding that um, where are we now? We're recording this on Saturday night. I, I think by by sort of halfway through Monday, he will be unveiled as a Norwich player. Um, and looks a good bit of business, really. You know, uh, not for just the short term, but the mid to longer term as well. Uh, as with a lot of this Norwich planning, Yanulis, Gibson, if, if they get promoted, both of those come off. You know, um, they're putting recruitment in place, which is future proofing, if you like. And, you know, yes, he's 
we know his backstory. You know, played for Villa in the Premier League, uh, caught the eye in, in their decent cup runs as well. Um, surprisingly, still for me that he was released, but I, I know they they brought in the lad Martinelli from from uh, from Arsenal, and, and obviously Tom Heaton was there already. Jed Steer. Say again. Martinez, sorry, Martinelli's Mart- the striker. Martinelli, isn't he? okay, yeah, you're right. He's the striker, isn't he? Yeah, no, they didn't bring him in now, but uh, <laughs> told you it was cold. I'm still not frozen, <laughs> frozen, but uh, and ultimately, he was a free agent. He's obviously had back surgery uh, before Christmas, um, so he's probably not ready to go. But then Norwich don't really now. Daniel Barden's proven himself. Um, probably needs somebody who's ready to go now, but certainly. You know, there's a question mark about Michael McGovern. There probably is a one-year extension there in the background, you know, subject to other things falling into place. But ultimately, I wrote about it a bit earlier today, you know, much like I thought Ralph Farman came in and OK, he didn't really, uh, you know, come in and 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 shake things up too much. But he probably did improve Tim Krul's performance levels because Tim Krul probably looked at him coming from Schalke, played in the Champions League, been on the fringes of Germany's national side. I need to raise my game. And he responded to give Tim Krul credit. And I think, with the greatest respect to McGovern and, and now Barden, he just hasn't got that at the minute. So, this guy, given he's played in the Premier League or not all that long ago, I think if he can come in and uh, there's no issues in terms of his his health and, he, and his back, then then I think it's a good move because I think it will probably just remind Tim Krul that he needs to continue to perform at the level he has done. And uh, other than that, I don't see anything else coming in. Daniel's been pretty, pretty straight on that. Uh, he repeated it again on Friday before the Middlesbrough game. Um, there won't be any more incomings and there won't be any outgoings, certainly not of the key frontline players. Might be a loan option for one of the 23s, maybe. Um, but, I mean, Birmingham, as we know now, made a little inquiry for Josip Dermich. Uh, didn't get very far. They've obviously gone in a different direction. I think they've, if they haven't already, they're definitely close to bringing in a lad from Aberdeen. So, whether anything happens with Dermich and Leitner, the other one, um, that's probably down to their agents, obviously, between now and Monday night. But, but if not, then uh, I think it's going to be a pretty quiet Remaining two days of the deadline, just uh, just kneeling the, uh, over the line, and uh, they'll go with what they've got. There's a couple of, uh, of academy deals uh, linked as well, isn't there? Regan Riley at Bolton and Tyler Clark, is it from Peterborough? Flynn, isn't it? I think Flynn, Flynn. Ty- yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah, Flynn Clark, yeah. Um, who are both young options? They would be coming into the academy, then that they wouldn't be first team. So, and that you know, there might be a, the odd loan change here or there. M- Melvin City, for instance, came back, didn't he? And he hasn't gone back out anyway yet. Things like that. But yeah, no, 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 nothing too much in terms of headline stuff. So, Connor, just for a bit more on on Neiland, he does uh, he does feel like quite a, a Weber and Farker signing to me. Like he's a he's seems like quite a big character and he has got a decent CV. You know, he played 20 odd games for Norway alongside Alex Tete. So they know each other quite well. Um, And it almost feels like this is a move which comes at a good time for both parties, given that he had that back surgery. And there's, you know, fingers crossed and all being well, he isn't really needed in terms of frontline action because Krull stays fit. So if it just allows him to get his career back up and running and training full time and stuff, it should suit well to then make a decision going forward in the summer. Yeah, and, and the first thing I think to point out is that he's, he arrives to Norwich City with a bit of an injury, so he's, he's not going to be someone that is, is going to go into the squad straight away. It's obviously going to be a, a short-term deal with the summer, but probably a, an option to extend that and, and maybe um, be, a, be a number two for, for a little bit longer, hopefully in, in the Premier League uh, behind Tim Krul. Um, obviously dependent on on the lad himself and how he finds it, but equally on on how Norwich City feel he's done and if he can get himself into some match day squads and, and on the bench and who knows maybe an odd appearance here and there. You, you 
can't predict what's going to happen. Um, in terms of the character stuff, yet told he, he got a very good character reference. That's partly the the reason that they've decided to bring him in. They they could have decided just to to leave it. Um, I, I think they've they've spoken to a few people at Aston Villa who've given them a given him a, a very good reference. And equally, he's he's not just someone they've plucked out of the air because he's a free agent as well. I think he, he's probably been on a list since he was at Ingolstadt in Germany as as one they've they've liked. So um, yeah, it's it's come. It's all about timing, isn't it? With Norwich City in there. Their transfers. I think we saw that we we knew this as well. And um, if he can get himself back fit, then I think he, he does exactly that. And they do see him in exactly the same way as they did with Ralph Firm. And hopefully he can sort of spur crawl on to produce the uh, increased levels of performance, which would be incredible, really, from from the base that he's already starting at at the moment. So um, it's going to be really interesting, I think, to to see how he fits in, to see how he finds it, and then um, in in the summer to see whether or not they activate that option that they have, and whether he feels that. He wants to continue in Norwich City, or as some quotes we've had on our website, would like to go and, and be a number one elsewhere. But yeah, I think it's it's probably a in in the short term a, a deal that allows him to help Norwich out, and equally for Norwich to help him out in terms of recovery and and fitness and um, exposing him to to sort of training sessions and, and maybe a little bit of game time. So yeah, it makes makes sense for a lot of reasons. I think. Well, there we go. Uh, busy, busy, as always, at Norwich City. 20 games remaining of the season. Still sitting four points clear at the top. Uh, we'll, of course, keep you up to date with everything at pinken.com. There'll be the pre-match presser on Monday lunchtime as well. And we'll keep you up to date with everything that's happening on deadline day. Uh, you know, keeping an eye on, on what's happening across the championship and anything that might affect Norwich uh, and all, any Norwich links uh, coming and going across the country. Um, but for now, thank you very much for listening. Pinkham.com is the place to go. We've got interviews with Ben Gibson, Daniel Farker. There'll be the player watch with uh, focused on Demetrius Yanulis. But for now, stay safe and we'll catch up with you very soon. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant.